Psalm 130. Psalm 130, if you have your Bibles, if we could turn there. This is the month of Advent. Believe it or not, December 1st is here. And what that means is 2020 is right around the corner. Isn't that crazy? Oh, man. But by God's grace, we made it. And, and we got a lot to be thankful for. Every year that we get a chance to pass through and every new year we get a chance to enter into, we want to really just go into that new year just celebrating and expecting, believing. And that's what this message today is really going to be about, hope. It's going to be about hope, not so much about the new year per se, but about Christmas. I don't know if you're familiar with Advent month, but it is the church's history. It has been the church's custom. I don't know what kind of church tradition backgrounds uh, you all may have had or some of you may have been able to have, but all throughout the church's history, um, across many denominational lines, there have always been uh, traditions that have been held that seek to honor Scripture. There are bad traditions, but then there are good traditions. And insofar as they're good, I don't see any problem honoring them um, if it's the Lord's will. And one of those is Advent month. And you may be aware of this, but Advent month, which means the month of December leading up to Christmas um, itself, which is toward the end of the month, um, is an opportunity for the church to take each week, beginning with the first week, like this one, and have that week surround itself, including the Lord's Day that the people of God meet together, have it surround a theme. And each week has a different theme. So the first week of Advent month is typically uh, the theme of, so if you were to go into a lot of churches around, that whole theme would be around uh, hope. Hope. Um, the second week would surround itself around faithfulness or preparation. The third week of Advent would surround itself around peace. Peace. And then the last week, of course, joy to joy. Joy. It's joy. And it would all climax with celebrating Jesus' entrance into this world, what child is this, right, as a babe? Um, you shall call his name Jesus, Matthew one twenty one. for he shall save his people from their sins, right? And so I wanted to just take uh, this Sunday together with you and really look at the hope that you and I, as people of God, have. You see, Advent is a word that comes from um, a Latin word, Adventus which means coming. You probably have heard it before, like the first advent of Christ. Maybe you've heard that, the first coming of Christ when he was born in flesh as a baby in Bethlehem. That was his first advent. And Christians typically see Jesus' advents in terms of three advents, not just one um, or even two. Three comings of Christ, if you will. The first coming was in Bethlehem. The second coming is what can be experienced by any child of God every day. It's by the Spirit. It's where He comes to us in a fresh way, maybe during your Devo time or your prayer time or as you're seeking God in your secret place, right? Or as you're looking to Him throughout your week. Christ can come to you all throughout the day and the week. He comes by His Spirit. That was also seen and regarded by many people of God, men and women, who really sought God in their day as a second coming, a, a, another coming of God. And then there's a last coming, one that we're probably also aware of. And that's the third coming, which is the last coming of Christ. And that's his final return. When Christ, Colossians 3.3, 3, who is 
your life shall appear, then shall you appear with him in glory. That's, that's when he comes in glory. That's when he comes to receive us to himself. That's that final coming where there's going to be no other coming after that. And so every year in December leading up to, to Christmas, we're not only celebrating and commemorating uh, gifts that we're hoping Santa's going to give us, right? We're, we're not only making our season about that, we're not only celebrating and, and commemorating Jesus' first entrance into this world as a baby, we're celebrating all three of those comings of Christ. And to be honest with you, you don't have to wait for a time of the year like this one to be able to do that. The song, of, um, the song or Psalm uh, 130 is, is a psalm of hope. It's, it's a psalm of hope of the people of God. How many people know we need hope? Not like the world gives hope. That hope is, is a different, I, I hope the cowboys take it next Sunday. Like that's one hope, right? Some of us don't know how to, right? Um, I'll leave that. I'll leave it. Leave it. <coughs> Get behind me. <laughs> I can hear it right now. Um, but we need hope as people of God. And I hope you're aware of this. No pun intended. And these Christians, these people of God, are modeling for us how to demonstrate that hope in God. It's a song of ascent. Maybe you're familiar with the Psalms, but there are 15 songs of ascent. 15 of them in the Psalms. They begin in Psalm 120 and they end in Psalm 134. 15 of them. Four are attributed to David, one to Solomon. Ten of them are anonymous. And these songs of ascent are referred to as songs of ascent, like you're ascending, because it was understood, scholars tell us, whether they're right or wrong, beside the point, is that the people of God, every year, they had three annual feasts or festivals to look forward to. These were worship experiences. And on one of these three festivals that were annual, it was the custom of the people of God, regardless of where they were located or displaced, for that matter, they would pilgrimage. It was also referred to as a song of pilgrimage. They would migrate. They would move toward Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is understood to be elevated, and it's up. And so as they would ascend, just imagine all these people, including women and children, all of these individuals, just thousands of them, here they are migrating. They would be singing out loud. Just imagine how loud that is. And those who had instruments would be playing them, and they would be worshiping as they ascended up to Jerusalem to meet with God and to engage and participate in the festivals. And this happens to be one of those 15 songs of ascent. We're about to ascend. We may not have a Jerusalem literally to go to, but here we go anyways. But before we ascend, we got to find out where we are. What does the writer say? Verse 1. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, Lord, who can stand? But with you, I know there's forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more 
than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The psalmist begins where he actually is. And he describes it as, as depths. Maybe you know something about this. There are a lot of kind of depths. Some of us know the depths of sorrow, and sadness, poverty. Some of us have encountered the depths of, of distress, and maybe even pain due to illnesses or, or lack of health or disease. There are all kinds of depths. The, the depths that I believe, based on context that he's drawing God's and our attention to, I believe, is, is hinted at and found in verse 3 and following. And it has to do with his and their, as a community, iniquity. There are also the depths of my awareness of, of my sin and the guilt and the shame associated to that. Maybe you know someone who's there right now. They can't even stand to be found in church. They can't even stand to, to try God again because of one way or another, how they ended up where they ended up, and they feel like it's over. There's no way after that. There's no way after doing that. There's no way after being there. There's no way after participating in that fashion. Now being in the depths of what I've gotten myself into, that I could, I could find God. I can cry out to God. And here he is. Here they are. Maybe he's representing, he's speaking, he's voicing his cry on behalf of the people. So sometimes it may be just one person speaking, but perhaps there are others who can resonate with what's being said. And I think that's, that's a good way of reading the Bible. Even though we're hearing this psalmist, even though you may be hearing me preach right now, my prayer is that I'm echoing only what's in your heart. And here he says, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. There's never a wrong place to begin to cry out to God. There are a lot of people I'll, I'll run into and I'll have talks with who, who will tell me something like this. When I get my act together, as soon as I ditch him, as soon as I could figure out a way to get rid of her, as soon as I could find myself out of this toxic relationship, as soon as I can clean up my act, then I'll show up to church. And this psalmist said, you know what? I ain't waiting. I may be here. What did David say in Psalm 139? If I were to find myself in the seas, if I were to find myself where it's as dark as can be, even the depths, you're there. You're there. Search me, O God, and see, he says. You see, what David apprehended is what I believe God wants all of us to apprehend. Some of us fail to look for God and therefore find God in the places where we need him the most. I don't wait for that relationship to turn around. I don't wait for my marriage to rebound. Parents shouldn't wait for that child to, and that relationship with them to, to get back to normalcy. I shouldn't wait for my circumstances to get to where I want them before I cry out to God. No matter where you are, cry out to God no matter where you are. Because if we sit around and wait for that ideal time, we're going to be waiting a long time. Amen? We're going to be waiting a long time. 
And here he says, we don't know exactly what the fullness of these depths mean, but it's encouraging to my heart, and I hope it's encouraging to your heart. Maybe you're here today, and when you look at your life, it resembles being at a place where I'm in the depths. I feel like I'm so low in my spiritual life. I feel so impoverished when it comes to my relationship with God that I'm not quite sure there's any hope for me to even reach out to God, to cry out to God. And I'm telling you right now, there is. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know the people who concern me? are the people who are not here. Sometimes we think what we think is a blessing and what we think is our good is actually the very thing that keeps. It's impossible. It is hard, Jesus said, for the rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to call he, he, he didn't come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but only those who are sick. Sometimes it takes, believe it or not, being in the depths to actually see God rightly. I thank God for the depths that I've had to pass through and actually find myself in time and again. Why? Because... Where are pearls found? Where are pearls found? Yeah. In the depths, baby. <laughs> Somebody's paying attention with their word open. I see Psalm 130. Praise the Lord. In the depths. Pearls are found where they're deep. They're not on the surface, and they're expensive. They're valuable. And I believe where's redemption found? It's in the depths. And I noticed at different times in my life, the seasons where I was prone, if God wasn't gracious, if God didn't intervene, where I was prone to want to complain at God, blame God, take an issue with God, have beef with God, because of my depths, were the very seasons of my life where I found God the most, where he was most discernible to me and for me. Don't disregard those seasons of your life, and especially if you're there right now, you may be at that place, but like in in the case of this singer, I want you to know God can still be found. What does he say? Oh, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. He says it twice as though God didn't hear him. It's a little Hebrew parallelism right there. Uh, The Jews were we're custom. You see this in the Proverbs a lot. They'll, they'll run two statements together, almost like, didn't you just say that? Yeah, I said that, but I'm going to say it again. <laughs> Repetition emphasizes just how important this is for me, that what? That God hear me, that I have an audience with God. You see, for God to hear you is for God to help you in his eyes. I remember being in uh, Chick-fil-A and even at uh, neighborhood playgrounds where a lot of kids out there and even in those little play room areas in Chick-fil-A, just imagine at a busy rush hour time with all these kids packed in there, just imagine the amount of disease and germs just locked in there, which is why they got this box full of toiletries. Make sure that you disinfect them before they ever touch a number two, right? And here, 
all this noise is going on, and I'm trying to have adult time with the people around me and leave the kids in there. But there comes a point where all of a sudden I hear, I hear this sound out loud, this cry. I don't care if there's glass or what. All of a sudden I stopped what I was doing and just looked over through that glass. I know that voice. And I rushed in there, big as I am in relationship to them, walking through this, this tunnel, looking for my kid. And I'm like, what happened? He hit me. <laughs> How was I able to discern this kid's voice in the midst of all that ruckus, all that sound, all that noise, because I don't know how I can answer that question. I'm dad, and that's my child, and there's just something about being able to know, I know that's my kid. Yes, I hear all that noise, but that's my kid, and I think that's what God is like. It's like sometimes some of you come in here, and you're thinking, but everybody's after him. There's a whole lot of noise in this world. What on earth would God want to do with hearing my voice, my cry, my sound that's ascending to his ear? Why on earth would he want to hear what I have to say? And I'm telling you, if you belong to Jesus, that's what you have to look forward to. You see, just like this psalmist said, look, he said, hear my voice, because he knew if God hears me, God's going to help me. If God can just hear my cry, I know God's going to come through for me. And I hope you know, just like a child toward their parent, if your father being evil, Jesus said, knows how to give you good gifts when you ask, how much more, how much more your heavenly father? Jesus in Luke 18 said, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You remember that parable, right? It's this widow woman. Here she is, persistently going back down to that courtroom to nag, based on the judge's opinion, this judge all over again. But notice, it's a judge who neither fears God, nor could he care less about people. And that's what she has to be in her defense Remember, the defender of my heart, again and again and again, to no avail. And then all of a sudden, the only reason why she gets her cry heard is because of what? Lest, the text says, lest this woman bothers me and continues to beat me down by her persistent crying, he answered her request. And Jesus looked at that and said, hear what the unrighteous judge says? And will not God avenge his own elect day and night who cry to him? But when the Son of Man comes, end of the parable, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Put it in context. The faith of this widow where despite the heart of the judge, callous toward men and fearless toward God, she still persisted. She had no business going to him after what she encountered the first time, but she continued to go toward him. She continued to go through all she had to go through to make it there again. She had no business. She had no reason to believe that he was going to answer her plea, her cry this time around based on the track record she already has with him. And yet she still persisted 
And what Jesus is saying is, your God is, is not like that. A lot of par- parables are about comparison. This parable is about contrast. He's trying to show you how much your father is unlike this judge on this earth. What he's trying to say is, look, if there's any group of people who got motivation to want to storm into God's gates, who want to cry to him, it's God's people. It's God's elect. Why? Because our God is not bothered by our cries. Our God doesn't feel beat down by our continual coming to him. In fact, he loves it. He loves it. When's the last time you knew? Maybe you come from a home. Maybe you come from a background. Maybe you, you come from a series of experiences with parents or, or guardians or people who are rubbishing. <laughs> Stop bothering me. Why are, you, why are you coming at me with that again? Please, don't you know I'm busy? Don't you know this is my favorite program? Don't you know the news is on? Don't you know the game is on? Don't you know I got friends over? Don't you know I got to cook for dinner? Don't you know? Don't you know? Can't you go to somebody else with that? And, and we bring that sometimes to our relationship with God. And we project that upon him. And God is saying, look, I ain't nothing like that. That ain't me. If you want to know what I'm like, you got to go to me. You got to go to me. And here he is. He's crying out to him. He's crying out to him because he knows in the midst of all this sound, there's a lot of noise on social media. There's a lot of noise on campus. There's a lot of noise in the world. But God has a discernible ear toward his child. God knows how to hear, just like a parent who can spot their child in the midst of a crowd and be able to know, I hear my kid, I hear my kid, I hear my kid. Just keep crying. Just keep crying, baby. I'll find you. I'll find you. Just keep crying. And I'm wondering, have you lost your cry? I got four kids. You know that. And I remember I had the privilege of seeing each child come into this world. And I remember in one of those four cases, we had an incident very quick, didn't last very long, but it was long enough, where you had this child come out, but there was no cry. And told to me by the doctors at that moment, I was not aware that that's a problem. I thought it would be kind of nice to not have all that crying. And he says, no, 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 you don't want that. You want crying. Because crying indicates, and he went on to tell me. And the way I knew was, here I am trying to stand back to let them do their thing, because I could tell it's that moment, and I'm like, (laughs) and the baby comes out, and all of a sudden, they're very silent, and they got this serious face on them, and they're off to the side, and like, what y'all doing with my baby? What's going on here? What? Somebody explain to me. And then all of a sudden, and it just, ah, and everybody just, the atmosphere just shifted, just like that. And then they explained to me what had happened. Give the baby to mommy. He says, crying is a sign of normalcy. Crying is a sign that that baby is in good shape. Crying is what we want. Have you lost your cry? You don't want silence. We don't want silence. Have you lost your cry? Maybe you had it at one point in time. Because that's, that's what this psalmist is sh- modeling for us as a godly person. 
going before God, showing us what a worshiper. These are worshipers. These are songs of worshipers. And a true worshiper has a cry. Every true worshiper has a cry. Every true worshiper has a cry. Because of what? We all find ourselves in one kind of depth or another. If it's not because of your doing, it's simply because of the world that we live in. It's broken. It's fallen. It's messed up. And there's enough going on in this world that's out of our control that can safely be called depths. Here we get a little sneak peek into why he cries to God in the way that he does. He says, if you, oh Lord, he gets real serious for a second there. And he says, look, if I could just shoot straight, if you were to mark iniquities, Lord, I don't see anybody standing. I don't see anybody standing. If you were to mark iniquities, the word mark means to, to count or to, to take an account for. If you were to all of the sudden decide, and you have every right to, after all, you're God. If you were to all of a sudden take my life, my thought life, my speech, my actions, my behavior, and to actually relate to me and base how you, you were cho- going to choose to be toward me based on who I am and all that I've done and do do, it's curtains. It's over for me. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no way after your scrutiny, after your keen eye on my life and my track record, that I would be able to survive all all of that. If I were to find myself in your courtroom without an advocate, there's no acquittal waiting me. He says, if you should mark iniquities, oh Lord, I don't see anybody standing. Everybody's tapping out. Everybody's done. It's over. But, praise God for buts, with you, there is forgiveness. You see, I understand if I were to relate to you, you have every right. But with you, with you, God, there's forgiveness. This is where we get our hope. There's forgiveness with God. That even though God said what would happen were they to go that route in Genesis 2 and then 3, though there was judgment as a result of what they did, there was mercy. There was mercy. And this writer here is saying that there's forgiveness. The word forgiveness there is an interesting word. It actually means to surgically cut out and eradicate altogether. It's a word that you would use if uh, you had somebody you knew who had cancer, and here you are in the waiting room with family, and the surgeon says, it's time for you, and that loved one of yours goes into ops, and they work away for hours. And the surgeon succeeds, and here he is, or here she is, they come out, take their mask down, and we're, we're pleased to announce to you, family, that your loved one is in good shape. We have successfully eradicated that cancer. Jesus, when he came, he successfully eradicated our cancer of sin. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so has he removed our sins from him. You see, this blessed is the man whose transgressions, David said, are forgiven, are blotted out, are removed. That cancer is never going to appear again. You're free. You've got a life to live. And Jesus says here, speaking to us in the New Testament, 
If you confess your sins, our God is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All. All unrighteousness. You see, our God is a forgiving God. Our God is a forgiving God. Now, there are some things where if I were to do them, I'm not too sure. My spouse, your husband may not forgive you. Your wife may not forgive you. There are some things you could do your children will never forgive you. There are some things you could do your coworker, your boss would never forgive you. Your church family would never forgive you. Heck, there are some things perhaps that you may do that even you won't forgive you. People often say, you know what? What you're missing is, your problem is, you just need to forgive yourself. What if you can't? What if you can't even do that? This is where that hope is. God will forgive you. No matter how many people on earth cannot find it within them to be ever be able to forgive you, you can know this. God, our God, is a forgiving God. Our God is a forgiving God. That's why he says here in verses 5 and 6, to wait upon the Lord for our hope to be found in his word. For Israel, verse 7, to hope in him. Don't hope in men. Don't hope in women. Don't hope in people. Don't hope in the arm of flesh. Hope in God. He doesn't even say hope in his salvation. He says hope in the God of the salvation we want. More than salvation, hope in the Lord. Hope in the one who's going to bring salvation. Rather than hoping in the water, hope in the well. Rather than hoping in the gift, hope in the giver. Hope in the Lord. Because if you have him, you're going to have all that you're in need of. He says, hope, O Israel, hope, O people of God, hope, O pathway, hope in the Lord. May, he says here, our hope be in his word. You see, our hope is no inactive or passive hope. A lot of times people think of that. I'm just, I'm just waiting on the Lord, just waiting on him. No, it's a very active hope. We hope by what? By being in the word. In his word, I hope, which means I'm bathing upon his promises. I'm reading upon them. I'm meditating upon them. I'm memorizing them. I'm filling my mind and my heart with the promises of Scripture, with the promises of God. As God plans to move in and do what he does, I'm going to be over here with my head in his book and with his book in my heart. Why? So that when he comes... It's just a matter of time. For me, for the child of God, he doesn't have to see God show up to believe it. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's the substance of things hoped for. God told Abraham and Sarah, this time next year, you're going to have a child. <laughs> okay, you can also call him Isaac, which means laughter. Think I'm playing. That's what God is saying. Think I'm playing? All right. Guess what your kid's name going to be? Isaac. Joke on you. All his lifetime. Whoever said God doesn't have a sense of humor? That's humor right there. People often say, oh, no, there's no humor in the Bible. I, I can take hours and show you all throughout scriptures. Joke on you. 
Why? What does Paul say in Romans 4? That God calls things that are not in existence as though they were. Paul says, what is hope if you already have it? Right? What is hope if you already have it? Hope, by definition, has to do with that which is not presently in your possession. And what Paul says is, God calls things that are not as though they were. Guess what Old Testament story he's alluding to in Romans 4? The Abraham and Isaac and Sarah story. God called it, right? Like some of us are going to watch some games, right? Today or, or next week. And, and we'll call it, right? So-and-so's taking it by a spread of, I don't know, 23. No, they're taking it, right? God stepped in and he says, I'm going to call it. This time next year, watch. He showed up. Joke on them. He calls things that are not as though they were. What he's trying to show them is, look, now that you belong to me, if you're my people, you don't need to wait for it to materialize. To be able to know that if I said I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. If God said that he was going to come through for you, he's going to come through for you. If he made his promises known to you, guess what? He's a God who not only makes promises, he delivers on them. He, the Bible says, who didn't even spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him, given the fact that he just did that, not Freely give us all things. Answer, he will. He will. Which is why he says here in closing, he says, my soul waits for the Lord, verse 6. I want to wrap it here. In fact, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman in the morning. And then there it goes again, that repetition, more than the watchman in the morning. What? He could be talking about the Levitical watchman. He could be talking about the military watchmen, but it was customary when the people of God were together and they had their community, you would have men at the gates or they would be up on the walls and they would be looking out on the horizon at night, all night. That was their job. They had shift, duty, and they would look out. You'd probably ask them, look out for what? For the sun, for the morning, for day to break. And here they were, and he's saying, I see that. And he says, you know what? That's my relationship with God. My soul waits for God. Like every night I watch these guys, like they're doing it again. Like what, what excites them about looking for the morning? They're just out there waiting. You see, for them, these watchmen, it wasn't a doubt or a question as to whether or not morning will come as it was a question about when it would come. And he said, in the same way, it's not a question about, will my God deliver? Will my God come through for me? Will my God be there for me? Will my God be faithful when I need him the most? It's about when. It's about when. That's where our heart and our soul needs to be in relationship to God. That's hope. You see, for the true people of God all throughout, people often ask, did the people in the Old Testament get saved the same way people in the New Testament did? Yep. Some people look forward to a coming Messiah, 
and, and, a, and a future cross. Other people were living during that time, and they had to believe. And those of us right now look back upon a cross and a Messiah that already came. But no matter where we find ourselves in human history, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in this Messiah, this Christ alone. And so for them, they didn't have to see it to believe it. They hoped in God's promise. Where are we at today? My prayer in this December Christmas season, with all the noise, there's going to be a lot of noise. Everybody coming out with their albums. Everybody's coming out with their paraphernalia and decor. And there's going to be a lot of lights and a lot of stuff, a lot of wonderful things. But I don't want you to miss. I don't want you to miss what God wants you to gain out of this time. For us, it's an opportunity once again to draw near toward this throne of grace, to find him when he may be found, to place our hope in him. Maybe hope has been lacking in your life, in this season of your life. But I want you to know today is an opportunity to restore that hope of yours, to strengthen that hope of yours. God's present. God's here. God's with us. And I just want to encourage your hearts as we move into this December month and know, just like these worshipers had God to look forward to, even if they were in the depths, that's a reminder to you. You may be in your lowest point right now in your life, in your career, in your schooling, in your relationships, in your own life. It may feel like there's no use. I got to first wait to get out of this season of my life, and then I'll think about considering what you have to offer. And what I'm trying to tell you is, if you haven't heard already, you're in the right place. No matter where you are, God may be found. God may be found, but you've got to cry. Don't lose your cry. If you've lost your cry, you need to go to him. Cry for the simple fact that you've lost your cry. Call out to God for the simple fact that you can't remember a time that you called out to God. There's never a better time than right now. Never a better time than right now. What I would like to do at this point as we're coming to a close is just invite you to stand, if you will, if we could stand together. and I would love to, to do this together as a people, just like they ascended. We may ascend spiritually. They may have had an actual mount to ascend, but let's ascend into the presence of God. The Bible says that you and I have a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Maybe we're feeling weak spiritually today. Hebrews 4.14 says, you and I have a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, which means he is able. And he was tempted, though tempted in every way like us, yet without sin. Let us therefore, it says, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we may find mercy in our time of need. Is this a time of need for somebody? God's going to be found. God may be found, but you've got to reach for him. You've got to cry out to him. You've got to look to him. You've got to close in with him. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man or woman, for that matter, will come and open, I will fellowship with them and they with me. He's at the door of your heart right now. And he's asking, will you invite me in? 
so that we can fellowship with one another. Father, we come before you right now in Jesus' name, mindful that if you, what did the psalmist say? Just say right here, Lord, if you were to mark my iniquities, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you. God, we thank you that we don't any longer have to be defined by our past. We don't have to be the product of things that we've passed through. We don't need to allow our, our near past or our distant past to define what our life is going to go on to be. If we would just turn to you, if we would just cling to you, look to you, throw ourselves upon your mercies, there is forgiveness to be found with you. Our God is a forgiving God. God, I pray right now that you would help every one of your people. Some, some, there are some people here who are in depths, depths of sin, depths of sorrow, depths of pain, maybe because of the loss of a loved one, depths of distress. They don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, depths of confusion and questions and uncertainty. They're in doubt. Nevertheless, they're depths. And they're weighing down on them. And to them, they think, these walls all around me are too high. I can't climb out of this place. I can't get myself out of here. Christ, show them that you're present. Show them that you're available. God, show them that you're near. May they know that they, that they know that they know that God, God is a God who hears our cry. God, help them to know that no matter how noisy it may be all around them, if they would just cry from their hearts, if they would cry out to you from their hearts and not remain silent, you will hear and you will help. You will help. God, I pray you do this. God, as we enter into this month of ours, this holiday season, I pray, Lord God, that you help us to treasure not only your first coming, but you being able to come by your Spirit at any time that we invite you. Help us, Lord God, to thank you and to appreciate and celebrate the fact that you came at all. God, I pray that our hearts and our minds be drawn to your truths, and I pray that they hit us fresh like never before, and that we as a community of faith find our faith renewed through what this season means to us, we pray. I thank you for this time. I thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your people. And as we may have to part and go our separate ways, may you never leave us. Go on to continue to be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Let's give God a hand.